Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Hey, if you're brand new, I'm Tyler. I'm the pastor here. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called I Believe. Everybody say, I believe. The thesis of this series, the, the ethos of it is simply this, is that your beliefs will affect your behaviors, that right beliefs lead to right living. Um, legalistic beliefs would lead to legalistic believing. It's a very simple concept, but it's really powerful. All throughout scripture, you'll see God celebrating those who believed in him and then being frustrated with those who didn't have enough belief. We could use the word faith. And so today we're going to talk about, I believe in God the Father. Everybody say Father. Father. Started this a few weeks ago. I started with, I believe in revival. Who believes in some revival now? Come on now. Come on, Mission Church. Uh, we're believing that we don't show up on a Sunday. We believe that God's going to have a Bay Area revival. Never before seen. This area has never had a revival. Why not now? Why not uh, us, huh? Come on. I think Russell Wilson says that for the Seahawks. Why not now? Why not us? I'll use it for church. I'm redeeming it. Um, following week, I talked about I believe in the Holy Spirit. Man, the church is a powerful entity. The church is not just something, it's actually a vehicle, a, a, a movement of people that are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do things that this world never seen before. So I talked about I believe in the Holy Spirit. If you've never heard that one, check it out. It's, it's, I thought it was pretty good. Um, and then I believe in the little things, and today is I believe in the Father. Now, if we did a little survey real quick, and I said, who is God to you? A lot of people would say, well, well God is uh, this cosmic king, this big old massive God. Some would say, well, God is judgmental. He's the judge, like he's just waiting to judge all of us. Some would say, God is this like annoyed master who just is so frustrated with me because all I do is come to him with new problems every week and I can just picture him eye rolling and be like, oh, you again, what do you want now? I always feel like I'm inconveniencing God, so I feel like he's, he's annoyed with me. Maybe that's how you picture God. Maybe some of you picture God as this wrathful God. Oh, he's like, just do something. Watch what I do with my iron rod. Just do something. Say something. Say something about me. Maybe that's how you picture God. But Jesus, when he came on the scene, he came to find actually who God was. Every single time when he referred to God, you know what he said? Father. Only one time did he not use Father. It was when he was on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the beautiful exchange. He said God so you could say Father. So why would we ever say God if he gave us Father? Why would we believe in this distant cosmic God that doesn't even care about us when all Jesus shows over and over again is about a father that cares about his sons and his daughters? Even you'll see the father come into different moments, the baptism. This is my son who I am well pleased with. This is my dearly beloved son in the transfiguration. Even the way the father talks. Look at Psalm 2 and how the father talks to Jesus in Psalm 2, this messianic promise. He says, oh, ask me for just anything, the nations, and I'll give it to you. What kind of father talks that way to a son? Our heavenly father talks that way. And so if we ask another question, why, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? Someone say, well, he came to die for our sins. That would be a true answer. Well, why, why, why else did he come? Well, he showed us to come show us how to live. Well, why else did he come? Well, he came uh, to please the Father. All good answers. But you know what answer we don't hear a lot is one that's right in the Bible. It's John 14. The, uh, Jesus is saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But Philip's like, I really want to, but can you actually show us the Father? And, and Jesus like, no, I, I came so you actually would know him. I came so you would actually see him. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So John the disciple writes in 1 John, very simple, 1 John uh, 5.20 says, and we know that the Son of God has come. Why? And he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. Jesus came so you would know him, that you would know him. You ever have like a game-changing prayer? Like just a game-changing prayer, that prayer that would like change your life forever. Like you prayed one of these, God, if I could just have this one promotion, if I could just get this one job, it would be the game-changer of all game-changers. It would change my life. Just this one job, give it to me. Your game-changing prayer. Or be like, God, if I could just get this one house, if, if we got this much money and we got this house, it would change our whole family. Oh, it's a game-changing prayer. Please, God. 
Maybe during worship, there's a girl you have a crush on in the room, you're like, God, please, just tell her to like me. Tell her to go out with me. And if she loved me, my life would never be the same. Game changer prayer. If you're worshiping like this and putting your hand towards somebody, don't do that, that's weird, okay? <laughs> She's mine. It's um, not how it works. But you pray for someone, you think it's a game changer prayer. But then you go to the Bible and you actually see the game changing prayers. They're not praying about possessions. They're not praying for promotion. They're not praying for more power. They're always praying that they would know God more. And so Paul prays this amazing prayer for the church, and it's for us today. This is the game, this is the game changing prayer. Let's look at Ephesians 3, verse 14. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. I love that. Timothy Keller says it this way. Uh, what kind of kid could go into the president's quarters at 3 a.m. if they had a scary dream? Can you imagine me showing up? President, I'm scared. Uh, sniper, yes, you have, yeah, yes, Trank, Trank, Tyler, yes. I couldn't do it. The only person that can go into the president's room anytime they want is a son and a daughter. Doesn't matter what time of day, a good father always has the door open to their son and their daughter. And so I love what Paul's showing. He's saying, man, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father. He's not like, well, I got to do this first. No, anytime that you want access to the Father, you just pay the price. You can go to that room anytime. You can go to the throne room anytime. It goes on to say, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I love it when, like, um, you see right here, Paul's bragging about his dad. I'm praying to the Father, the creator of everything. I remember being a kid and, friend, you know, our friends would brag about their dads. Like, my dad played Division One baseball at UW. You know, my buddy would my buddy be like, well, my dad, he played uh, tied in for the Seahawks. And I'd be like, my dad's name is Bob. That's <laughs> all I had. That's all I got. And to be honest, when we have kids, my kids would be like, my dad's name is Tyler, and he's tall. And that's all my kids going to have, too. But what I love is all of us. He's all our father. We get to say, my father is the creator of everything. He owns everything. He is all powerful, all loving. That's who my dad is. We should brag more about our father. Yeah. And so Paul's bragging about his father. Goes on to say, I pray uh, that for, for, from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Man, you ever feel weak? You ever feel like, man, where do I find strength? Right there. It's, it's inner. If you're looking for satisfaction on the outside, it's because you never got it from the inside. If you're looking for power and affirmation on the outside, it's because you never got it from the inside. It all comes from the inner. We're an inside-out kingdom. Everything. God wants to grow up from the inside out. He doesn't want you being thirsty for things of the world. He already wants to satisfy that thirst. Can I get an amen? Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trusted him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Oh, just so much strength in that right there. And may you have the power to understand. Everybody say understand. As all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how... Okay, some people, good job. Uh, his love is. May you, experience, may you experience the love of Christ. Look at these prayers. I pray that you would understand. I pray that you would experience this is the game changer prayer, that you'd experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. I love that. You'll never, if, if you've actually figured out God and he's in a box, he's no God. If you think you've actually figured all this out, all, you haven't got to the bottom. You've got to the bottom of your little puddle of knowledge, not to the depths of who God is. He's, he's an infinite God. Every time the cherubs go down and they say, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty, they see a new greatness of, of our God. Every day God wants to reveal a little bit more of his greatness to you. And it goes on to say, this is the promise with all this stuff. So what happens when you understand who he is? What happens when you experience him? Here's what happens. Then, this is what happens in your life. Then you will be made complete. Ooh, you ever feel like you're lacking something? You ever feel like you're missing something? Oh, you wish you just had this or that? No, it says you'll be complete once this happens. 
Singular, nothing else. Once this happens, you'll be complete with all fullness of life and power that comes from God. Fullness and complete. What are people chasing today? For people to complete them, they're looking for things to fulfill them, they're looking for that fullness. And the game changing prayer is in Ephesians 3 saying this I pray to the Father that you would understand how great He is, that you would experience Him and encounter Him. That some of you know God, but you actually would actually know Him personally. You can talk about who God is. She never really experienced his forgiveness. He never experienced his redemption. That's what Paul's saying. Once you experience that, night, night, you're never going back. It's going to change your life forever. Uh, you ever been disappointed? Anybody ever been disappointed? Raise your hand. If you haven't been disappointed, you're freaking me out, okay? Um, have you maybe you've been disappointed by people. Maybe you've been disappointed by a job, a boss. Maybe you've been disappointed by the church. I remember I was disappointed by the church, didn't grow up in church. I remember going uh, on staff at church and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to be at church. I'm going to walk in and everybody's going to be like, hey, what's up, mighty man of God? And, you know, everybody's going to be fighting over, let me get you coffee. No, I want to get you coffee because we're servants first here, you know, and then go get them coffee. And then, and then, you know, can I pray for you? Are you doing okay? And so I'm picturing like it's going to be this utopian society in the church. I get hired at the church. It's the opposite. I'm getting yelled at. I'm getting, you know, like all kinds of, like, well, where, where am I? I was so disappointed in the church. And I started pastoring. I was disappointed in the people. Can I say that? I was like, they're so mean. They're so mean, God. You still want me to love them? Yes, I still want you to love them. They're so critical, God. Still love them. Oh, there's a good one. I'm going to just hang out with them. No, that's not how we do this, Tyler. You got to love them all. I was disappointed. I'll never forget, just this week, just as an example, Rachel and I ordered some uh, new blankets on uh, Amazon. And the picture was these beautiful blankets on a bed. We literally buy them, order them, and we literally took them out of the thing, and they were like a little towel size. I was like, is this for my leg? Like, Rachel is 5'4", I'm 6'4". It didn't even cover her to her feet, like from here to here. We're like, we got punked by Amazon, you know? Um, so disappointed. Right, so I got a couple other online things of disappointment. Let's uh, show the first one. Uh, this is our logo. Okay, there you go. This guy, oh, nope, nope. You're hilarious. Uh, this guy paid $750 for some Yeezys, and then these came in the mail. Those are Yeezy slippers. You just got crank called. You just got punked. Uh, next one. So when we get a golden retriever, one of the first things I'm doing is I'm buying a lion costume for my golden retriever. Because my favorite animal actually is a lion, but you can't have a lion because it'll eat you. But I'm going to get this, and my golden retriever is going to have it. But this is what this person got when they ordered it for their dog. A bad hair day. <laughs> you can tell the dog won't even open his eyes. He's like, shame. He's like, I don't feel like a lion. I don't look like a lion. I just have a bad hair day right now. I'm so frustrated. I'm so frustrated. Online, disappointment. Next one. Uh, right here is Scary Bear. Uh, I love that he reviewed it. Like, he actually took time to go back and say the legs are awful. There's way more than just the legs here. One star, kind of generous. Um, that's one of those bears, if, like, the, the light was off and you're walking throughout the house, you're like, ah, you know. Oh, it's just my bear with six-foot-long legs. Um, $109, disappointed. Next one. This guy went to go buy a tank top, and he got... Now, this guy was super positive. He literally wrote in his reviews, well, it makes my figure look really great. And so I was actually kind of impressed with him. And then last but not least, uh, the dress. One more. We got one more uh, right here. The little kid ordered this and got a hand, literally the size of a hand. You just got punked. All right. Um, can, can I just, can I be honest with you? When we are growing up and we're watching movies and we're talking to people, and we're dreaming, Some, somewhere along the way, we develop a picture of what life could be and should be. And it may not even be from God. 
It could be from a, a, a chick flick. It could be from a superhero movie. It could be from a book you read. It could be from the world because you saw something. And so what happens is you click buy on that thing. And what happens when it shows up in your life, your life, you are disappointed. It looks nothing like the picture. Marriage is going to be like this because I remember watching that one movie, Notebook, and it's going to tell me that if we're both birds, it's going to be great. And then you get married and you realize that person is like a lion and you're more like a little, you know, like, like puppy, you know. That means that one's really mean. That one's really sweet. That's what I was showing you there. Um, nothing like the picture. And you realize, man, like, I bought into the wrong thing. If I'm being honest, you will always be disappointed until you buy into the right thing. Until you believe for the right thing. Because there's only one. We define success so many ways. Well, if I get married, then I'm successful. If I get a promotion, then I'm successful. Oh, when I get the, this much money or this house, then I'm going to boast about my success. Here's how God defines success. Turn your Bibles to Jeremiah 9. I love when the Lord kind of talks with a little bit like, a, like he almost is punking us right now, okay? In a good way. He goes like this. He goes, this is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast. So if you're going to be a boaster, because we got some boasters in the house. You like to talk about you. You do. You like to talk about how great you are. He's like, but if you're going to boast, I've given you the gift of boasting. Here's what you should boast about. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love. Come on, you want to boast? You say this. I know who my God is. I'm successful. You want to know why? My God loves me, has a purpose for me. My God's redeemed me. Oh, I'm about to boast a little bit more right now. Come on now. You, you, you can say things about me. It's not going to affect me because I'm not living to please you. I'm living to please him. I'm going to boast about my God. But so many of us, this isn't how we define success. We don't define success by boasting that we're going to know God more. But this is the game changer of all game changers. When you actually get to know the Father, it will change your identity. He comes in and says, the church, we always say this, let's make disciples. Well, Jesus came and said, I'm going to make sons and daughters. The beginning of a disciple is becoming a son and daughter. Your identity will always affect your activity. Galatians, it says, now that we are children of God, we are co-heirs to the throne. Basically, we are rich now. We have a different promise, a different bar on our life. Do you boast about that? Is that what your aim is, to get to know him? Maybe you'll be less disappointed with a person when you actually get to know God a little bit more. Maybe your marriage will be more fulfilling, actually, when you really start to understand who God is. Maybe you'll be even a better spouse. Maybe you'll even be a better parent. Maybe you'll be a better person who comes to the church and nicer to me. Just kidding. <laughs> to be honest, we have, like, the nicest church. You know how many bad emails I've gotten in a year and 11 months? Zero. And never, they're like, how many bad emails you got? None. They just say it to my face. <laughs> Here we go. We got a bold church. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not that many people have said anything to my face. Let's keep going. Um, <laughs> I'm fan of love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. I love it. He just, he goes, boom, this is it. This is, this is the one. Once you get to know that I'm your father, life's going to be uh, a little different. So what I want to do is I have four points, but I'm only going to get through two today, is I want to talk about our father. I want to brag about our father. I want to boast about our father. And one of the, just some attributes. So my first point is this. Our father has standards. Standards. Everybody say standards. standards. What a weird way to start out talking about the father. But I'm telling you, this is going to be one of the greatest revelations you've ever experienced. If you didn't know this already, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 through 18 we're going to read. First thing it says this. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. What does that mean, yoked? In the Old Testament, there was these laws and rules that said the ox that is a clean animal cannot be yoked with the donkey, which is an unclean animal. And some of it was just super practical. 
If you got yoked with a donkey, which was unclean, and you're an ox, ox walk at different paces. They walk in different directions. Donkeys walk in different paces. They walk in different directions. So when you yoke yourself with the wrong thing, what happens is instead of plowing and taking back ground and having a fruitful field, the, the donkey and the ox walk in a circle because they can't decide where to walk, and they never take back ground, and they never create fruit. Can I just tell you real quick? The Lord, as a, as a God, says, I got standards. First standard is don't yoke your life with just anything. You better make sure that you yoke your life with me because if you actually yoke your life with me and walk with me and have me lead you, watch what kind of ground you take back. Some of you aren't to your promise yet because you've been yoked to the world. And what it says yoke to believers is not saying don't talk to believers. Love unbelievers. Love people who don't know the Lord. Serve them. But you shouldn't have their mindset. You shouldn't have the same aim. You shouldn't have the same goal. When you leave here on Monday, when you're at work, your life should be completely different because here's what he says about being yoked. He says, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Satan? What harmony is there with somebody who's trying to be selfish and the other person trying to be a servant? You can't do both. One person's trying to have their own justice and the other person's trying to forgive everybody. These things do not coincide. So Jesus is saying, come out from them. I'm setting a new standard. You're not gonna live like the world. You're gonna live like sons and daughters. Let's see how he finishes it. On what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Everybody say living God. Yeah. Come on now. As, uh, as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and, and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. This is an amazing thing because... How does bondage and freedom walk together? They don't walk together. Isaiah 52, it's the promise of the Messiah. It's this moment where you hear the Lord. And whenever you hear the Lord, exclamation point, scream, he's saying, come out from the bondage. How beautiful are the good news? The feet, they're coming. Come out from the bondage. You are choosing to live in Egypt. I want to give you a new land, a new promise. It is this invitation to get away from bondage and darkness to walk into light and freedom. Who doesn't want to say yes to that? But some of you don't know how to let go of the past. Some of you are too scared to actually say, you know what, but I'm comfortable with the darkness. I'm comfortable with selfishness. I'm comfortable with taking care of myself. I'm comfortable with that because what if I serve and I get taken advantage of? I don't know if I could actually live that way. Watch the father work. Here we go. And I will receive you and I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. Everybody say sons and daughters. This is the promise. Read scripture. You're going to see this. You're going to see a rhythm of Paul, disciples, Jesus saying, hey, you're a son and daughter. He's the father. He has standards. Uh, let me put it this way. You ever, um, my, I got to celebrate my dad. One of the things my dad did really well is he was really strict on who I hung out with. He wouldn't let me hang out with the bad kids. And when I mean by the bad kids, like at school, he's like, hey, you don't, don't hang around Tony. Tony. And just, you know, the kids that are at school, you shouldn't hang around. They're like the ones that bring lighters for no reason to school. <laughs> They're like, hey, check this out. I brought a lighter today. Why did you bring a lighter? Just to turn it on and off. Don't let the teacher see. Hey, check this out. Yeah. You're like, what, what are you doing? Bad kid, just stay away, stay away from the lighter kid, okay? Is there anybody the lighter kid in the house? Yeah, I was, I was the lighter kid. I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. Um, so Tony was that kid. He would bring a lighter to school. Uh, Tony was the kid that would be like, hey, Tyler, let's put on two sweatshirts. I got two pellet guns, and let's shoot each other. We won't be able to feel it. Oh, you could feel it. <laughs> Tony, uh, ages seven, eight, and nine, my dad would say, stay away from Tony. You're not supposed to be friends with Tony. He's a, he's a bad influence. When you hang out with him, it's going to hurt you. And I'd be like, Dad, you don't know what you're talking about. Tony's fine. He's fine. Age nine, Tony brought a gun to school. We're walking home. He takes it out and, points it and pulls the trigger. It's empty. Still one of the worst moments of my life. I remember like it was yesterday. And my dad said, stay away from Tony. And I said, Dad, you don't need to tell me who I hang out with. I'm going to hang out with who I want to hang out with. And what a good father does is he has standards. It says in James 4, it says, do not be friends with the world. 
come out from the world because world, the culture, it doesn't want to bless you. It wants to chew you up and spit you out. It's, it's philosophies. It's ideals. It's not going to bless you. It will be the worst years of your life when you live for the world. So he's saying, don't be friends with the world. I've got a new friend, and his name is Jesus. He's the friend of sinners. He's the best friend. Because who you yoke your life with in friendship will define your life. And so he's calling you out with a new standard saying, you think you can be friends with the world and then still enjoy heaven? It's not possible. He doubles down in James. He says, those who are friends of the world cannot be friends of God. He is a possessive God, and this is a gift, not a bad thing. He is saying, I'm not going to share you with the world. Come out from him. Be my best friend. Watch what we do. I'll never forget uh, being a youth pastor for nine years. Parents would walk in, and uh, they would say, hey, my kid doesn't listen to me. They, they, they won't do anything I say, and they're dating this person, can you tell them to break up with them? Because they listen to you. How much? <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. I'm a youth pastor. I got to have different revenue. Okay. <laughs> How long have they been dating? How bad do you really want it? I'm just kidding. Um, basically, uh, a lot of the time, I actually would tell the kid to break up because I think, you know, that a lot of the kids that were dating is just bad news. So I'm like, yeah, I'll talk to them today. I'll see what's going on. And, um, and so I remember a lot of time I'd say yes. Sometimes I wouldn't. But I remember talking to this girl and she started dating this guy and his name was, was Robert and I walked up to her, and I said, your, your mom's been telling you to stop hanging out with Robert, and you won't. What's Robert's intentions? Does he, he want to sleep with you? She's 17. I'm a youth pastor. I'm, I'm going to talk real. Yeah, he's been trying to sleep with me for like the last two weeks. Asked me to sneak out at like 4 a.m. last week. And I said, no, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to say no forever. And I said, the best decision for your life is to stay away from him. He is not your future husband. He doesn't care about you. He just wants to use you. Keep him away from you. Okay, Pastor Tyler, you got it. You got it. It's fascinating that a lot of you in the room are the same way as that daughter. You don't talk to your parent. you got to have somebody else tell you. The father should have the ultimate authority. You should read the word of God and say, if you say it, I'm doing it. You're saying not to be friends with the world? Hey, ultimate authority. You care the best because this world does not want to bless me. It wants to break me. This world doesn't want to make a masterpiece. It wants to make a mess. I will not be friends with the world. It says in 1 John 2, it says, do not love the world. Because what happens when you love the world? Do you ever notice when you really start loving something, it starts to control you. It says love compels, constrain control, the Greek word. It starts to dominate the way you live your life. You don't want to do sin. You don't want to do those things, but you just keep doing them. It's because you love them. So there's a simple, uh, simple principle. What you feed grows and what you starve dies. And they say, well, hey, you don't ever uh, just stop loving somebody. You fall out of love. Yeah, and you fall into love. I actually think that you keep falling into love with things or fall out of love. Some of you need to fall out of love with the world. You need to stop giving time to the world, start starving the world, your selfish desires, the things that you think are the best, and stop hanging out with those things and actually start hanging out with the Father and falling in love with the Father. Because what happens is you become friends with the world, then you love the world. It says in Romans 12, there's another thing the Father says in his standard. He says, don't conform to the world. Because once you have friends with them and once you love them, you become just like them. And you're running after the same things that are tearing this world apart. Division, arrogance, everything, self-discovery. I'm just trying to figure out who I am. I'm going to define who I am. Nobody else is going to tell me. Which we're going to talk about in the prodigal. That's who he was. And what I love about the Lord is he gives his answer to all three. He says, I've got a new friend. His name is Jesus. He's going to be your best friend. I've got a new first love. It's me. And then don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. You know what I love about Christianity? Is that when people get saved... It's not some conformity thing. A lot of religions, they're a certain way. You have to pray this way and look that way and why you pray. A lot of religions, you just got saved, you got to wear this and you got to do this. You know about Christianity? You know, what, you, know what, you know what the signature of God is? It's nothing on the outer. It's just the inner transformation. 
So the way, we, the way our uniform rocks is simply this. Wow, you got, you got, you got a lot nicer. Well, you got a lot more patient. Well, you got kinder. Well, you're, you got a lot more freedom. How did that happen? I'm being transformed. I fell in love with the Lord. He's my best friend, and I'm being transformed. This is what happens. This is, this is what identifies Christians. It's not going to be what we wear. It's not going to be how we all pray the same way. still freaks me out sometimes during worship songs when the song comes up, it's like, there is free. And everybody's hands go up. I'm like, we got to figure this out. We need to coordinate because we look kind of weird raising our hand at the same time. <laughs> just, just a thought, okay? I'll take the first course. You take the second course, okay? And then the rest of y'all can have the bridge. Um, our God has standards, and they're relational standards. I grew up uh, really poor, so I grew up playing basketball in the inner city, and the majority of the kids on our basketball team did not have dads. So when you don't have a dad, it's really hard to even know, like, the promise on your life. Who's there to set the standard? A dad, a mom would say, hey, that's not how we talk to girls. I'm raising the standard. You don't talk that way. A way a father would, would raise the standards and say, hey, I just want you to know something. There's a calling on your life. There's a purpose on your life. Do not allow this to destroy your life. A father's always raising the standards. Get away from those friends. Hey, don't, don't be lazy. Laziness is not your trait. You're, you're, you're a hard worker. Hey, 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 don't be selfish. You're not selfish. You're selfless. You ever hear parents say, hey, you're better than that. Throughout scripture, God's always saying, you're better than that. I'll, I'll use a movie illustration even just to help a little bit more. Lion King. Who loves Lion King? Yeah? <clears throat> I haven't seen the new one because I'm a traditionalist, and so it doesn't exist to me. Okay? I've only seen the old one. Um, I won't see the new one. I'll pray about it. Uh, but I haven't seen it. But there's this moment in Lion King where Simba uh, uh, sees his dad, Mufasa, die, thinks it's his fault. And so what does he do like any, any, any strong man? He runs away from the problem. And can I be honest? That's really just our flesh nature. The problem, I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to avoid it. I'm going to run away from it. I just don't want to deal with it. And so he runs away with it. And so the, instead of dealing with the problem, he runs away from the problem and starts living a different life. Isn't that kind of how we do a lot of things? And so then he gets some new friends. And his friend's motto is Akuna Matata. It means no worries for the rest of your days. We'll do it later. Okay. Um, sometimes people join in. Sometimes they don't. Um, <laughs> So now he's a vegetarian, it's pretty sad, um, and he's living the Kuna Matata life. It's not a bad life, but it's not his calling. It's not his birthright. He, he settled for something that he should have never settled for. So there's this epic moment in the movie where Mufasa, James Earl Jones' voice, one of the most epic voices of all time, comes to Simba and says, Simba, you have forgotten me. I'm not going to try to dream zero. I thought about it. I thought, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Simba. You have forgotten me. And Simba's like, no, no, I haven't forgotten you. I will never forget you, Father. He's like, you have forgotten me. He's like, no, I haven't forgotten you. He goes, you have forgotten who you are. Therefore, you have forgotten me. And this is an epic moment. He's saying, Simba, I am king. You are the prince. You are the heir to my throne. You, there is an inheritance. There is a responsibility. Pride Rock is your responsibility. What you ignore, the enemy invades. I have called you to live a different life. You are not here to live the Akuna Matata life. You're here to fight. You're here to serve. You're here to defend people. You're here to destroy the enemy. This is your calling, Simba. And so Simba gets to Mona Pumbaa and says, yo, we got to go handle business. And it goes back to Pride Rock and destroys Scar and restores everything that the enemy's been destroying. And what happens a lot in our life, when you start reading the word and you get to know God, he starts raising the standards in your life. He starts saying, hey, your life's not just about getting a job. You think your life's just about finances? That's nothing. I've called you to change the world. I've called you to be redeemed. I've called you to love people like they've never been loved before. I've called you to be a game changer. And you say, no, 
you've forgotten who your father is if you don't believe that promise. Because if you don't believe that promise, you don't know who's given it. I'll, I'll put it this way. It says this in Psalm 127, 3 through 5. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be uh, put to shame when they contend with their opponents in the court. It's this beautiful picture of, 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 of a parent with their kids. And the picture the Bible shows is that the kids are like arrows. So sons and daughters are like arrows, and they're putting the bow. And they're to be shot out and propelled. So what is, what's the parent's role? To aim the child and propel the child forward. You know what happens when you're fatherless? You have no bow to shoot you forward. You have no bow to aim you forward. And so the father says, Man, I am the ultimate bow. I am the ultimate direction giver. I can point you in the right direction, and I will propel you forward. I will get you places you never thought you could get. But the problem is a lot of us don't have the bow, and a lot of us don't have the father. I'll never forget Martin Luther King Jr., one of his most powerful speeches that he said that not a lot of people have heard that they should. It's where he's talking about the civil rights, and it's, it's towards the end where they, they've won a lot of victories uh, before his death, of course. And he says a lot of the times people say this, well, just pull yourself up with your bootstraps. And Martin Luther King Jr. said, well, a lot of people don't understand history. They don't understand that when they were giving away land, they give it away to everybody except the African-Americans. And so what happens is he goes on to say, he goes, so you tell us to pull up our bootstraps, but the problem is we don't even have boots to pull up. And it makes you understand that not everybody has the same beginning. Not everybody has the same uh, resources. Not everybody has the same father. Not everybody has the same thing. And so what we're trying to do as churches, we're trying to tell Christians, hey, just do better. Just, just do better. Stop sinning. I just don't know how to do better. You want to know why? Because you're never supposed to do better. You're supposed to get in the, the, the bow, and then you're supposed to be shot out by the father. A lot of us don't understand. You know what your problem is? You don't have the father yet. You're not supposed to raise yourself. You're not supposed to graduate on your own. You never graduate from being a son and daughter. You will always be a son and daughter. You will always be crying out, Abba, Father, like it says in Romans. Abba, Father is a baby term. Until the day you die, you should start your day with Abba, Father. What it's saying is, I have no idea still what I'm supposed to do today. You do. Lead me. Guide me. If I feel like I figured this thing out, save me from myself, Abba, Father. You will never graduate from being a son and daughter. Second point is our God is relational. Our God is relational. One of the more famous uh, verses in all the Bible is Luke 15. It's kind of the vision statement of our church. And <sighs> you guys mind? Can I, can I go five minutes longer? Is that okay? You guys can stay. The rest of you can go. <laughs> So anyways, let's talk. Um, uh, I'm going five minutes longer. I'm going for it. I don't, I don't want to miss this. Something I want, I want to tell you real quick. I, I think that church gets really special, really powerful. I, I, gotta, I want to finish my other point real quick, but I just, stupid clock. Um, this is my prayer for our church. I want to share the dream of our church real quick. I got to. A powerful church is not a church that people see themselves as attenders, not even people that see themselves just as disciples, but people see themselves as sons and daughters. This is when we get real dangerous, and here's why. Because when you become a son and daughter, it's just a different standard, different responsibility, different commitment, different kind of swagger, different kind of confidence comes with being a son and daughter of the true king, okay? And so when that happens, this is my prayer for Miss Church. We're going to get a building soon, I believe, and we're going to have it paid off by year 10. That's my, my, my prayer. And we're going to allocate so many finances to planning churches and building orphanages and taking care of a broken world. That's what I think the church's role is to do. We're doing it right now, of course, but I think there's a thing about stewarding and taking care of things and margins, so we're doing all that, but I think we're doing it at such a high rate. And so when mission churches get planted, when sons and daughters come to town, 
This is my dream when they hear a Mission Church Oakland or a Mission Church Berkeley or Mission Church San Diego, Mission Church LA, Mission Church Seattle, Mission Church New York, wherever it's going to be planted. I, I, I want this to happen. Orphans in those cities that are orphans will say this, Mission Church is coming. I hear when they come to town, there's no more orphans. I hear that they take care of everybody. I hear they serve the city. I, I heard, I heard that, that I had nothing and they're going to adopt me and let me be a part of the family. That's what I heard about Mission Church because they were adopted also. And so I can be adopted in the family. I want the gates of hell to say, oh, Mission Church is coming. Just pack up the gates. They're going to tear me. Let's just go to another city. Let's just go to another city. Let's just get out of here. That, 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 that's the dream of Mission Church. That doesn't happen by attenders. It doesn't happen by legalistic people. It happens when sons and daughters know they have access to the throne room and they walk a little bit different in the house. They walk a little bit different in the world. And because of that, there's got to be a different way that we treat people. And Luke 15 is this amazing parable where Jesus knows the Pharisees are frustrated with them, and even the licentious people are a little frustrated with them. You know what I think when the gospel's clicking on all cylinders, like when it's just dominating? It's when you're offending everybody. <laughs> like, doing a good job. It's when the religious people are like, you don't talk about sin enough. People are too encouraged at your church. How dare you hang out with those people? And so the, the religious people are angry. And then the licentious people are like, hold on a second. You said Jesus is the only way, the truth in life. You're telling me he's the only way to find fulfillment. He's the only way to find real strength. Well, that's offensive. When I got both sides saying they're offended, I'm like, killing it. <laughs> Bam, because here's why. If you haven't experienced grace, because grace is not something to be thought of. It's not a concept. It's actually an experience. It's a force. It's like a hug. You can't you describe a hug. No, you got to experience a hug. So if you haven't experienced grace, it just frustrates you. And so everybody's frustrated with Jesus at this moment in Luke 15. And so he tells him a parable about the prodigal son and the older brother. It's a phenomenal story. We'll pick it up in, in verse 17 where the prodigal's already taken his, his, uh, his money, everything, and went on his self-discovery, if you will. And really what Jesus is saying in Luke 15, if I could put it this way in our modern day times, the blue states think the red states are the problem. The red states think the blue states are the problem. Jesus says, you both are the problem. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Pharisees like, they're the problem. So he's like, no, they're the problem. And he's like, time out. You're all the problem, but I'm the solution. And so it goes on. He says, when he finally came to his sense, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. If you know the context of this, the, the kids live in the house, the slaves live on the property, and the hired servants live in town, and they come in to make something and then leave it with it. So the son doesn't even think he can live on the property as a slave. He's coming with the lowest bar. I'll be a hired servant in the house. And some of you, your mindset right now, God is more like a boss than he is a father. And you act like a hired servant. I'll come in and have a transactional relation with you. I'll do this so I can get this. And then I'll go and be on my way. You are missing out on everything. And this is the, son, the mindset of the prodigal son right now. He's saying, I'll just go back and at least I can live in town and, and get something. Religion, even though he's the prodigal, he has a religious mindset. Religion says we obey to get the gospel says we obey to get God. So we just obey to get him. He's the ultimate reward. So it goes on to say, I love how the father responds. So he returned home to his father, and while I was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. Stop. Filled with, what is the father filled with? Love and what else? I'll get on Facebook and people are like, hey, just so you know, don't forget, God is wrathful. Yeah, you, you, you don't talk about enough. He's wrathful. He's severe. Uh, uh, he, is, he is judge. We don't talk about that enough. I'm like, no, be honest. I didn't grow up in church. That's not why I, I didn't go to church. I knew that he was wrathful. That's all I heard. A lot of people, that, why the reason they're not walking through the door right now is because they think God's wrathful, judgmental, and he's going to destroy him. 
They don't know that the church and the Father is full of love and compassion. Change the way you tweet a little bit if that's you. It offends you a little bit. I love, I love what it says about how, what the Father does. He goes, says he runs to him, says he runs to his kid filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kisses him. Kisses. It's not a kissed him all over his face. Sometimes we don't understand what happens. That Greek word is literally picture, you know, just, no, no, no. Just kissing his son every, on his neck everywhere, just so happy. To Wrapped him up. And again, he smells terrible. He doesn't care. Wraps him up, tackles him. He says, his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he's starting to speech like, okay, I'm a sinner. Now I'll do, how about I do this, God? I'll come to this. I'll be a hired servant. I love a good interruption. You know, like you're about to tell yourself, hey, I broke the TV, Dad. And your dad's like, hey, I just got a new TV. Oh, never mind. We'll just get rid of the old one. It's like the best interruption ever, right? It's one of the best interruptions ever. He goes, hey, Dad, I, I, I can be. And the dad's like, hugs him and goes, but this father said to his servants, quick, bring the robe, the best robe in the house. That would be the father's. And put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. These are all things that signify so many things that we'd preach on a different day. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So let the party begin. Stop. This is this epic moment of this prodigal that did nothing except bring his sin to the table. Do you know that all you bring to the table is your brokenness and your sin? Don't be impressed with yourself. And then the father brings everything to fix it. He brings the robe, the sandal, the ring, everything. And then he says, let's celebrate it. And now why this is going on, there's this older brother who's just a little frustrated. Let's look at this. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. So, so the older brother hears music and he's frustrated. He goes, what's going on? Like, your, 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 your brother's home. He's home and, and now we're partying. We're having the fattened calf. And, and the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father come, came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And all that time, you never gave me one goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours came back after squandering your money or on prostitutes, you will celebrate by killing the fattened calf. The father said to him, now you got to understand this. Look at what the father's doing. He initiates the prodigal, and he runs and begs even with the religious one. He's always, God is always initiating. Before you respond, it's always because he's initiated first. He's pursuing you. And so he's initiating the son. And the son's even disrespectful. He doesn't say father. He just says, look what you did. You always address father with, with his term, and he didn't do that at this moment. He goes and says, his father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has came back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Stop. There's this moment where the brother is, the older brother is so frustrated, and he's missing out on the father. Can I just tell you, badness doesn't get you away from God, and goodness doesn't get you close to God? Because the prodigal is lost in his badness, and the older brother is lost in his goodness. And some of you are lost in your goodness right now and missing out on the grace of God. Because what the Father says, and this is everybody in the room, and I'll say it with this, this big of a dogmatic statement, you will be disappointed and dissatisfied for the rest of your life until the Father is the ultimate reward of your life. If the Father is not the ultimate reward of your life, you will never, ever experience true joy in your marriage the way you're supposed to. And you're like, I got a great marriage. Well, he's going to raise the standard. He could be even greater. I'm a great father. You could be even a greater father. I'm a pretty good person. Well, good for you, whatever that means. <laughs> and you, you could taste fulfillment you never had. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. and I want to finish with this. So you hear this story all the time, and you, you see the older brother frustrated because if you know the context, the older brother, all the celebration, the fattened calf, everything, the robe, you know whose that was? It was going to be the older brother's. It was all his. So his inheritance is now being given to the one that sinned and squandered everything. 
So the older brothers, to an extent, like in a worldly mindset, justified why he's so frustrated. That was going to be my robe. This was going to be my fattened calf. You're giving away my, he already squandered his wealth. Now you're going to give my inheritance away? He's frustrated. But there's an older brother in this parable that we don't talk about enough in this parable. And it's the one who's sharing the parable, and his name is Jesus. Because the real way this parable plays out, and this is the gospel message, is that the older brother sees how much the father desires to have the prodigals come home. And so imagine the older brother going to the father, hey, I know that you're heartbroken, that your younger son has left. I'm going to go get him for you because I love you so much, Dad. And I've experienced your love, and I know that if he could experience the real love of you, it would change his life, so I'm going to go get him. And Father, I want you to know something. I'll pay whatever it costs to get him back, even if it's my life. And so Jesus, the ultimate older brother, comes to this earth and purchased you and me and brought us back. You didn't bring yourself back. No, it says that you are dead, and now you brought the life. That you were in darkness, and now you brought the life. You were in cursing, and he brought you to blessing. You did none of this. The older brother did, and his name is Jesus. But now that he's done it, and if you say that I'm a believer, I've said yes to Jesus, what's your role now? What are, you, what are you supposed to do now with your life? Do the same exact thing. We go get all of them. I was talking to a pastor this week, and basically different cities have higher um, salvation rates, uh, higher Christian attendance rates. And basically, Walnut Creek, Lafayette, Concord, we're not even 4% is what they got back in their new study. They said we were 1.8%. So there's a lot of people that we need to go get. What if we were the church that said, man, I want you to know the Father. That's the game changer. You want to know what's going to change our church? When we want people to know the Father and we get to know the Father. Will you bow your heads with me? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.